I'm going to date myself here this morning because when I asked my daughter Paige about the song Undone, she had no idea what I was talking about. But on August 16, 1969, the rock band, the Guess Who, performed the song Undone for the first time on American Bandstand. And it quickly soared to the top 20 of Billboard's top 100 charts. And it stayed there for about three months, and then they took it to West Point and played it for Jack and his buddies who were there. (laughs) It was written by Ralph Bachman after he watched a young woman frustrated with the Vietnam War and everything else that was going on in the world at that time trip out on acid and become undone. The words go something like this. She's come undone. She didn't know what she was headed for, but when I learned what she was headed for, it was too late. She found a mountain that she couldn't climb. She sought for truth, but only got lies. She's come undone. Too many mountains and not enough stairs to climb. Too many churches and not enough truth. Too many people and not enough eyes to see. Too many lives to live and not enough time. She's come undone. We typically think of those moments of coming undone as negative, and they can be if we allow the circumstances that brought us to that moment to lead us into despair. But the truth is, and what I'd like you to consider this morning, is that those moments when we find ourselves undone are actually moments that are ripe with the possibility of transformation. One of the places we find ourselves undone is when we encounter incredible beauty. You've had that experience, some of you, with music that takes you to a place that leaves you breathless with its beauty, absolutely undone, or a piece of art or nature. I remember a moment when I was in New Zealand a couple years ago visiting my son who lives there, and I was running the Queenstown half marathon, and it ran along the creeks and through the woods, and then I turned a corner And the woods opened up into this clearing, and in front of me was this majestic mountain range with ragged peaks of snow, and on the lower levels, brilliant yellow from the ash trees that had turned golden with the fall. And then in front of it, reflecting all of that, a still, cool mountain lake. And it absolutely undid me. I couldn't move. I was so awestruck by what I had just encountered. Moments of beauty can bring us to a place where we are unmasked and present to the holiness of God that is always with us. Moments of pain and disappointment and disillusionment can also bring us to a place of coming undone. I think of the great Christian mystic, St. John of the Cross, 
who was taken prisoner by his own brother monks because he dared to want to reform the Carmelite order. And they threw him in a cell that used to be a latrine that was hardly as big as he was and kept him there in the dark for nine months. Horrible evil, horrible pain that undid him. And yet, in that space, he encountered the living God. He had an experience of the holy that absolutely transformed his life and produced incredible poetry of spiritual depth that we benefit from even today. Because he allowed that moment of unmasking, of that moment of having all stripped away where we know we are not in control as we think we are. He allowed God to be present in that space in a way that would transform him. It's hard, but God is present in those spaces too. And then there are those moments that are a mix of both. I think of the birth process and this incredible experience of giving birth to my own children I remember the first time I gave birth, it was a bit terrifying. I had no idea what was really happening. They had told me, but to actually experience was a unique thing. Losing control of one's body, having pain that causes one to cry out, wanting to resist what was happening and knowing I had to surrender to it so that my body could do what it needed to do to birth this child. Pain, confusion, a certain amount of terror, and then incredible life. New life, wiggling, crying, looking back at me and nestling at my breast. One of the most divine encounters I have ever experienced. All of these moments are moments of undoing. They are moments of possibility. When the divine becomes present to us in a way that we can encounter God, in a way that we are are open and vulnerable so that God can actually use that moment to transform us. And so in this moment in which we find ourselves as a denomination, as a church departing that denomination, as a nation torn apart by division, as a world tearing itself apart in violence, destroying the environment, the future of the planet at risk, the best place we can be is to acknowledge that we are undone, that it is beyond us, because that is the place where God can meet us and do something totally new. Let's pray. God, we like the illusion of being in control. We live in a culture that teaches us to stay in control. We live in a culture that teaches us that there are no possibilities we can't imagine, that it's either us or them, this or that, that your kingdom actually cannot be. And yet, God, we also find ourselves at the end of who we are, We have just come out of a year of pandemic and find ourselves and many others in total denial 
that what was needs to not be anymore, that we cannot go back to that, that we should not go back to that, that you are calling us into something far better that we can't imagine. And so we resort to our plans, our limited vision, to stay in control of what is ours and what we want. And so God, as you did with Isaiah, as you did with Nicodemus and others of the faith, we ask you to bring us to a place of undoneness where the blinders and the pretense get stripped away and we encounter you, the living God, in all of your terrifying holiness and your unfathomable love so that we might birth a new future, your future. Speak to us this morning and undo us, for we ask it in the name of our Savior and our Lord. Amen. In the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord. At the time that Isaiah began his prophetic ministry, the nation of Israel was divided. It had split into two kingdoms. The kingdom of the north was known as Israel, and the kingdom of the south was known as Judah. They had separate kings. They disagreed about worship and what was appropriate. They disagreed about political strategy and how to defend themselves. They were at odds with one another as well as the rest of the world and destroying themselves. Uzziah was the king of Judah. Corruption was present in the political realm as well as the religious system of his day, as well as in Israel to the north. And both of them were being threatened by invading Assyrian armies. But the chronicler tells us in the two books of Chronicles that Uzziah was a good king, that he sought God, that he did what was right, that he turned the people back toward God, looking to God for their deliverance, living as God had called them to, seeking to love God and love neighbor. And then the prophet Zechariah, who had mentored King Uzziah, died. And King Uzziah forgot <laughs> that only through surrender to God could he survive and could he lead God's people and he entered the Holy of Holies and desecrated it, claiming the space for himself. And scripture says he was struck with leprosy and died a few years later. Isaiah was a young man at the time, just beginning his prophetic ministry. And King Uzziah was his cousin, someone he looked up to, someone he cared deeply for. And when King Uzziah fell from his throne because of his arrogance, Isaiah was devastated. And when King Uzziah died after the prophet Zechariah died, leaving it on Isaiah's shoulders, he was undone. He knew the threat from Assyria. He knew the threat from the corruption in the political and religious system of Judah and Israel. And he was beside himself. And in that moment of undoneness, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. 
this description of God in terms that are just metaphors of what Isaiah encountered that act that stripped him bare of all pretense and brought him into the presence of the living God. And he cries out, woe is me. I am a person of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. I can't do this. This is beyond me. And it is in that moment that God sends a seraph with a coal, an ember, touches his lips pardons his sin and Isaiah is transformed and he becomes one of the greatest prophets of all time in Israel and history. One who through the power of the Spirit could both speak truth to power and hold it accountable and at the same time cast a vision for a future that was filled with hope, a vision that was beyond him and the people and yet call them into it to work toward it, confident that the vision that God had cast through Isaiah would indeed come to pass. And therefore it was worth giving their lives for because the hope of that future was certain. It's one of those moments that we see again and again in Scripture. Moses out herding the flock and sees a bush that's not consumed by fire. And he approaches it and is told to take his shoes off because he's on holy ground. And this sniveling, fear-filled, murderous man becomes God's instrument for delivering Israel from captivity. Go back further. Hagar is cast out into the desert with her child, doesn't even have enough water, and she cries out to God, and God responds, leads her to a well, leads her to a people, saves her and her child, and she says, I have seen God, I have had an encounter with the Holy One, and I have lived, and her future and her son's is forever transformed. It's what happened to Jacob, this conniver, this trickster, this one who was so in control of things, he was manipulating everything and everyone. And then he has to face his brother Esau, who he cheated of his birthright and his armies. And he's terrified. He sends everyone across the river in front of him, coward, and he stays behind. And in that evening he wrestles with the living God and is forever transformed and he names the place Peniel. I have seen God and I have lived and he becomes the champion of faith. Saul, the Pharisee of all Pharisees, murdering Christians because they dared to proclaim a gospel that did not fit his understanding of the scriptures is blinded by an encounter with the risen Christ and has to be taken off in order to be healed. God has to send someone to heal his blindness and he becomes the champion of the faith for the Gentiles. This moment of undoneness that offers us the possibility of transformation. It's the same kind of undoneness into which Jesus invites Nicodemus. We give Nicodemus a bad rap 
for not believing that he had to be born again. Because we've turned that into some little simple prayer that you pray and check it off and you're in. And those who haven't prayed it are out. There's nothing wrong with a prayer. It's something we all need to pray. We all need to be on our knees acknowledging that apart from Christ, we cannot be saved. But it's not this little formula we've turned it into. Nicodemus is like us. He's a man of faith. He's studied the scriptures. He has his daily devotions. He comes regularly to worship. He's seeking to live out the law of God, to love God and love neighbor. And he encounters this upstart rebel prophet who is crossing boundaries, who's come proclaiming good news to the poor in a system, a religious system that excludes the poor. He's come proclaiming release to the captives, setting at liberty the oppressed. He's come proclaiming that now is the time to institute the year of Jubilee, to set the scales of justice that are lopsided back in order so that everyone has what they need to thrive and that the political and religious system of the day is unjust. He's welcoming those who are not welcomed by that system. He's including those who are excluded by that system. And he's calling them into a different kind of spirituality. A spirituality not bound by a set of rules, but that operates in the power of the Spirit who blows where she will and cannot be contained, will not be contained or controlled. And he comes seeking. But his mind is mind. He needs a formula. He needs a rule. What is it that I need to do? What's the thing that I can put on my list and check off so that I know I'm in, so I know that they're out? The very same thing we do in more ways than we are willing to acknowledge. And Jesus says to Nicodemus and to us, yeah, that's not it. You're not getting it. You must be born from above. And of course, that just sounds absurd to Nicodemus. It sounds absurd to us if you think about it. And so he properly says, what? How can an adult person crawl back through the birth canal and into their mother's womb? This is absurd. And indeed, it is absurd. And when we encounter the absurd, we try to contain it. We try to define it. We try to put it in a way that we can manage it so that we stay in control. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus and us, you don't control this. You can't make this happen. The Spirit blows where she will. This is an act of God. It depends on God. All you can do is surrender to it just as the mother and the baby surrender to the birth process in order for life, new life, to be formed. It's really the Wesleyan understanding of God's pervasive grace preventing grace, that grace of God that calls us before we are even born, that pursues us relentlessly until we are found. It's God pursuing us, justifying grace, that grace of God that enables us in that moment to say, I am undone. Woe is me. I am a person of unclean lips. This is beyond me. I cannot save myself. I cannot save the world. And God justifies us in the grace of God and forgives our sin, makes us clean and transforms us into people who actually can be instruments of God's salvation in the world and breathes on us the Holy Spirit, this sanctifying grace where we are born again and again and again 
deeper and deeper into the life of God until it becomes a reality that moment by moment we live and move and have our being directed by the Spirit of God who is within us and who alone can give us life. But to get there, we have to acknowledge that we are undone, that this is beyond us. We cannot fix the political landscape. We cannot fix the religious landscape. We cannot fix the brokenness in our families, in our own lives. Only God can do that. And God is asking us, calling us to get on our knees and say, God, help us. Strip from us all this pretense so that we see you. And let the Spirit transform us in a way that we can't control, that we can't dictate, but that alone will lead us into life, that will lead us into the future that you are calling us into, that you are calling us to help you create until everyone finds a place at this table and knows themselves seen in love so that we can save the planet, so that we can save humanity in the grace of God so that we can come to the place where we see one another as intimately connected. We see one another as God sees us. And so we can own our sin. We can acknowledge our racist, our sexist, our homophobic, our nationalistic, our anti-environment, political and religious past. Confess it be cleaned of it, and then allow God to show us how to heal the earth, how to heal humanity, how to heal this nation, how to heal God's church so that it becomes the instrument of unity and peace rather than division and violence. And only the Spirit of God can do that, and only when we come to the place that Isaiah came and says, say, woe is me, I am undone. I am undone. And then God can work to transform us and the world. And that's good news. God is calling us to a new place, a place that we cannot yet imagine. Out of the brokenness, out of the rubble, asking us to surrender our need to control it. Surrender our definitions of what it should look like. Our deep divisions of us and them. Yeah, we all do it. Because we can't figure out how to be together and still call for justice. But God can in Jesus Christ through the Spirit. When I posted the sermon topic for this morning, David Brody sent me a prayer. And I think it really fits, and I want to close with it this morning. Let this be our prayer in this moment as we transition from the United Methodist Church into the United Church of Christ. As we seek to be instruments of peace and healing in our nation, in the church, in the environment, in the world. Let us pray. Spirit of Christ, be wild and free in us. Batter our proud and stubborn wills. Blow us where you choose. Break us down where you must. Refashion us after your will. Move us powerfully away from the games we play to try to tame you. Lead us into the wild places, the places of dreams and even screams, the long dark tunnels or the wide sunny vistas. Teach us to speak to lions, to move mountains, to bear tragedy, 
to mirror you. Amen. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.